today on the Tearsheet Podcast. So all the hardware that we interact with today, uh, your Intel, your, your iPhone, everything, it's based on physics still, but it's based on the rules of electromagnetism, which we've known about since the you know, 1800s. And in the 19th century, in the, the 1900s, the big revolution was understanding that underneath the electromagnetic operating system, there are quantum mechanical rules. And the idea behind quantum computers is to take advantage of these features and uh, this new power that's in quantum physics and make computing technology based on those new rules. And it turns out that, in, and we can talk a lot more about that, in a lot of cases, it opens up radically more powerful kinds of computing. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. It isn't often on this show that I'm completely out of my league. Our, our two guests today are scientists focused on quantum computing. IBM Stefan Werner and Goldman Sachs Will Zeng join me on the podcast to discuss some of the recent findings they made in quantum computing's ability to address derivative pricing. I clumsily navigated my way through the interview, but my two guests did a great job explaining why they're so excited about quantum computing's application of financial services and how it'll change the rules of the game. And they did it in a way that I, and I think you can understand as well. Uh, they're making big strides in bringing this technology to market. And even though we're still a few years away, a financial ecosystem is already growing up around this massive shift in technology. Hope you enjoy my discussion with IBM Stefan Warner and Goldman Sachs Will Zhang. Yes, hi, Zach. Thanks for, for having us here. My name is uh, Stefan Werner from IBM Quantum, and uh, I'm leading the applications research and uh, software development for, for Quantum in, at IBM. And Will, can you introduce yourself and what you do? Yeah, my name is Will Zhang, and I run the quantum computing research group at Goldman Sachs. My background's been in quantum, so I've worked on hardware for quantum computing systems in academia and startups. Uh, and at Goldman, we're looking to use this technology, and our research group is developing those applications. So, Will, I'll just you know ping pong it back to you. So maybe we'll start with what is quantum computing? Yeah, right. The big, the big question. So broadly, uh, it's a new way of making much more powerful quantum, uh, much more powerful computing hardware. So all the hardware that we interact with today, uh, your Intel, your, your iPhone, everything, it's based on physics still, but it's based on the rules of electromagnetism, which we've known about since the you know, 1800s. And in the 19th century, in the, the 1900s, the big revolution was understanding that underneath the electromagnetic operating system, there are quantum mechanical rules. And the idea behind quantum computers is to take advantage of these features and uh, this new power that's in quantum physics and make computing technology based on those new rules. And it turns out that, in, and we can talk a lot more about that, in a lot of cases, it opens up radically more powerful kinds of computing. Great. Um, and now, Stefan, like, what is IBM's interest and what is your interest? It sounds like you run, you're part of an organization that quantum um, fits into a variety of different things that you guys are studying. What's, what's the interest in quantum at IBM? So IBM is, is covering the full stack for, for quantum computing. So we, we have a, a large effort building the hardware and uh, building these quantum computers is very difficult. And this is really like taming nature at its, at its extreme. And uh, so we are building this hardware from really from the foundational research to now the first uh, systems that we offer for, for our uh, commercial clients over the cloud. I mean, this, these systems are still at a, at a size where um, they are used for, for research, so they can't run a productive problem yet. 
but still you since they are so different you need to learn how to use these systems uh, uh, before you can really leverage them so learning how to use them makes sense right now before really the large scale systems are available that that run a productive workload so that's the one th one side really the, the the hardware research and development and making this available to our partners but then on top of that we have also the the development of the control software of the of the application software um, like for optimization and things like that that we that we have software tools that people can use whether that's now quantum researchers that uh, look into how to improve algorithms or whether that's application um, subject matter experts that that want to want to see how an interface looks like how things how things work at a small scale and then of course this this application level where we do research and where we really want to understand um, for the different industries, what are applications, what are, what are uh, problems that today we are struggling, solving them with classical hardware, where a quantum computer can help. And uh, this is, this is a, uh, a project or an, an area where actually we, we collaborated now with, with Will and, and found this first, uh, uh, first joint paper that we published end of last year. And how long has um, IBM explicitly been working in quantum computing? IBM is um, working on quantum computing already since since quite a long time. Uh, I think uh, in the the 80s or 90s, so so really like like for decades, laying um, laying the, the theoretical foundation. So uh, some of, of our colleagues um, like Charlie Bennett, they, they really were in the, the pioneers of uh, of quantum computing. And uh, since then, we contributed to that through through all these years on on different levels. Of course, in the in the early years, this was really um, on the on the foundational level from the theoretical point of view, but also foundational hardware research. And uh, since uh, 2016, we have the first uh, quantum computer available through the cloud for the public and for for our partners. Uh, back to you, Will. Um, what are some of those, I guess, big problems that um, you and your team are looking to solve in, in finance up front with, with quantum computing? Yeah, so one, one of the reasons that finance is so exciting for applying new kinds of commercial uh, computing technologies is that we have a lot of mathematical problems that are pretty easy to specify and that there's been a lot of incentive to work with you know, existing, we call it classical computing hardware, non-quantum. You know, the old generations of hardware have been optimized aggressively uh, in a lot of cases. So there's a real need for, for new thinking. Uh, and so there's three broad categories that we're looking at right now. Um, the first is in what I call broadly simulations. Uh, and so here, uh, like the paper that we, Stefan alluded to that we worked on was for the pricing of derivatives, um, but kind of broadly what underlies it are risk, risk calculations. Uh, you know, the, the math setup is, you know, calculating expectation values of stochastic processes, functions on stochastic processes, uh, which comes up all the time uh, in finance uh, around, around risk modeling uh, or pricing. So, so simulation is the first category. The second is optimization. And there are a lot of hard optimization problems um, across financial services, um, you know, portfolio optimization being maybe like the uh, sort of most obvious one, but they come up in, in, in all sorts of places. The third uh, category is machine learning. Uh, and here um, there's applications in, uh, in trading, but there's also applications in things like anti-money laundering or avoiding fraud. Um, and those three categories are already really, really large. 
And so what our research group is doing is trying to pick out more specific benchmarks uh, where we think that quantum computing could be most useful first. But it, those are kind of the big, the big broad categories we're looking at now. And in those three buckets, did you list those in order of complexity? Um, I guess, was there, was there um, right. some sense around how you ordered them? Yeah. Yeah, so um, the first two, uh, simulation and optimization, are ones where we have a pretty strong handle on the th like theoretically how much better quantum computers would could be. Uh, so there's multiple, you know, sometimes you know really theoretically how well a quantum computer could do, and sometimes it's a little bit more try it, experimental, and see. Mm -hmm. And our, our ability to try it is currently limited today because we, we, you know, Stefan's working really hard on it, but we've still just got prototypes. Um, so we're the simulation use cases and some of the optimization use cases that we're excited about are ones where we have strong theoretical proof of, of big possible improvements. So for example, in, in derivative pricing at a theoretical level, you can show very generically that you can get, you know, uh, tens, hundreds or a thousand X speed up uh, in certain kinds of theoretical models um, for how to do the problem. And so then what we do is try to take that theory and apply it. In machine learning, it's uh, I sort of list one that in a, in a sort of a secondary category uh, and sort of two reasons. One is that um, classical machine learning, so just normal machine learning, it hasn't totally penetrated finance yet. Uh, in the simulation and optimization cases, they're kind of at the state of the art, um, but just regular ML is still, still spreading, throughout, spreading throughout financial services. And so that means that the benchmark is a little more vague. And secondly, when it comes to applying quantum computers in the more near term, uh, so the first few generations of quantum computers, there's a lot, there's let we have a less of a theoretical handle on how much better they might be and exactly where. It's a really, really active area of research, um, but it's a bit more nascent. Right. So when you when you made those three groups, what I thought in, in the little knowledge that I know about this space was like those first two buckets were like, we're already doing those and, and you get a feel for how much better quantum or how much faster quantum can do it than, than existing methods. And when you think of that third category of machine learning, it feels like quantum may be able to open up things that we, we don't even, we're not even asking questions about yet, or we're not even thinking about yet. Is, is that accurate in that, in that description? Yeah, I mean, I think actually quantum might be able to unlock new ways of thinking about all theories, right? Because the steps are potentially a thousand times greater or, or even more for certain kinds of risk calculations or things that you do open up new business opportunities. You can automate things that, you know, you, you, you couldn't have thought to automate before. You can make different kinds of risk calculations that you didn't have, that weren't accessible before. So it's not, um, I think it might have transformative potential across all three. Mm -hmm. Got it. Thank you. And Stefan, where do, where do you think we are in this whole evolution? Like how far along, how mature are we um, as you're thinking about you know, the maturation of quantum computing, like where are we today? And, and where do you think we get to in just a few years? So at, at the moment we have the first devices that have like uh, 65 qubits, for example, this is the, the largest device that we make available in the, uh, over the cloud today. And over the next couple of years, we, we uh, plan to, to reach the, the first devices with like a thousand qubits uh, or more. Um, but here we talk about uh, about noisy qubits, and some of the algorithms that that uh, will mentioned and where we uh, have this strong theory behind, they require what we what we call a, a logical qubit. 
And the difference is that from, from, from physical noisy qubits to a logical error corrected qubit, um, you have to, uh, to introduce an, an error correction scheme. And here you encode one logical qubit by, by multiple physical noisy qubits. And this overhead can be, can be quite significant. So this can be in the, in the hundreds or, or a thousand of physical qubits per logical qubit. So, so here we, we certainly have a little bit uh, of, of work to do and we, we hope that uh, around uh, 2023, when we reach the, the first uh, chip with a thousand plus qubits, that we can start studying this, this um, or demonstrating this first uh, logical qubits and leveraging this, and that we then scale uh, within this decade to large scale um, fault-tolerant error-corrected uh, quantum computers that, that uh, then can demonstrate quantum advantage within this, de this decade. So, so this is the, if you look at the hardware roadmap that, that we also published, this is the, the way forward. And we hope that uh, by, yeah, by end of this decade, we really have these large, uh, large scale quantum computers that uh, can run error corrected uh, workload. Now in the, in the way to get there, um, we are in this, in this, in this near term uh, compute error where we, where we have these noisy qubits and where we still try to uh, to make the best out of them, even though we do not have this strong theory behind or this this error correction, and um, there are there's already quite a variety of suggestions on algorithms for for these noisy devices, whether this is on machine learning or optimization, and we are we are investigating what 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 can be done with those and where can we expect some speed ups or some performance improvements, and uh, this will be also very interesting in the in the coming years. Um, to to see what we can do with this um, with these smaller scale uh, quantum computers in these different areas. And, and that, yeah, actually, please, Bill. Well, it might it might be sort of worth mentioning when you think about uh, you know where the field's going, just the trajectory that it's taken and the growth that's happening broadly. So you know, the first prototype quantum computers have only been available in the last couple of years, and the investment in the space, which you know when I started and Stefan started, was you know just a thing that some academics and some deep research groups like IBM did. You know, there's now been about more than 20 billion of global, you know, government public research funding announced uh, in the last few years. There's about you know, almost one and a half billion in private VC investment that's gone into the space when the first company in the space it was like five years, five years ago. Um, so the, the growth and trajectory is, is really encouraging. And I think that it leaves us kind of optimistic that any timelines today, you know, really might, really might come in and we see a lot of innovation happening. And so, Will, can we talk about, um, I guess, some of the findings that you found in, in, in the paper that you recently published on, on derivative pricing? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, derivative pricing is, is obviously a, a really, really ubiquitous use case. Um, and it's a very concrete use case where we know that there's some theoretical speed up from quantum computers. Uh, it's what's called a, a quadratic speed up. So that means that... Uh, you know, if, if I need to increase the, if I want to make my simulation on a normal computer more accurate by uh, a factor of, uh, let's say uh, hundred, then I need to use a hundred times more classical compute power, but I would only need to use 10 times more quantum compute power mm. uh, and, and that kind of scale. So if it's a million, then it would take a million. If you want to be a million times more accurate, you need a million times more classical and only a thousand times more quantum. Now that's, that's, that, that's still in a theoretical model. So like, you know, theoretical computer science. And so what we wanted to do with this research uh, in collaboration with Stefan and was to 
take those theory numbers and make them concrete. So we wanted to say, as far as we understand it today, what are the real specs of a quantum computer that, that we would need for versions of derivative pricing that like my colleagues in global markets would care about? And so those specs are you know, things like the amount of quantum memory, the, the clock rate of a quantum processor, um, and the error rate, you know, Stefan alluded to the error rates being kind of high. And, and so we, you know, what is the actual target error rate that you need? Um, and we, we, and in, in doing that, we, we, we learned a lot. Uh, we, we learned that, that a lot of the, uh, the theoretical work in the literature actually had some gaps and holes. And so we had to come up with some new algorithmic tricks that we can talk about. Um, but it also led us to some first concrete estimates that we see as a, like a roadmap that we can now go talk to the hardware vendors, look at their um, look at their roadmap, see how they line up, and then also prioritize our, our theoretical work uh, to compile down really all just to reduce the time to when the, uh, you know, the real potential of this application can, can be realized. So can we, can we talk, I guess, about some of the practical takeaways? Yeah, so one, it, so one practical, well, it, it, yeah. I mean, practical takeaways as a researcher <laughs> yeah, are, okay. I get uh, are definitely, you know, he, th there are some, one, I'll say two things. I'll say it to sort of two audiences. Uh, as the first one maybe is sort of more business audience, which I guess we're talking about here. And it's something that Stefan alluded to already, which is that, you know, today's, num today's hardware specs are not yet good enough. And there are a few milestones to go through. And so to, to kind of give you an example, for, for the benchmarks we picked, um, it looks like you need, uh, let's say 7,000 or a seven to 9,000 uh, logical qubits of quantum memory. Um, and today's hardware you know, is in the you know, 65, it'll be at 100 soon. It's, it's gr growing rapidly, um, but it's not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. So from a visit side, the takeaway is, you know, we're not there yet and there's some ways to go. But the second takeaway at the business level is that we actually could do a wall clock time concrete estimate of what the specs are. And I think that's a shift, it's causing a shift in the discussion around applications mm -hmm. of quantum computing, which I think until now has been, oh, there's some theory. And you know, we're hoping that as, as prototypes get developed, we can figure out how to use them. Here, we've been able to be really concrete and specific for an end-to-end -end calculation from top to bottom and you know, estimate how long it would take and, and stuff like this. That, you know, speaks to the maturity of the field. So I think those are, those are two really business side takeaways. And then if you're a theorist and you're doing research, you wanna get into all the nitty gritty details and figure out how you can bring the numbers down. <laughs> so Stefan, I wanna go back to you. Um, you mentioned the delivery of some of these things over the, through the cloud. Um, when these things do come to market, say in 2023, like you were saying, um, like what, what type of investment would a company these meaning, I guess what I'm getting at is, will the big, only the wealthiest companies be able to afford this type of quantum computing, or is or is IBM's like kind of view is, is some somehow to democratize access to it as well through the cloud? I, I think um, that that's what we are already doing, right? We are building an ecosystem around quantum computing. We're making this accessible to um, through through our IBM uh, uh, quantum IBM Q network. Where we already have a hundred plus partners and and, uh, and and members, and all of them can access this, and we even have quantum computers available through the cloud for free to the public, right? But those are not the the premium devices. So I think build an ecosystem and and uh, having access um, through the cloud to to a large uh, group of users is very important 
um, for, for multiple reasons. Um, and uh, particularly in the, in the process of, of getting to, uh, to, uh, to useful applications, we, um, uh, we really want and, and, and need this, this, uh, this variety of people that look into what can be done with this, that, that look into it from completely different angles and industries and help to grow this. And IBM is setting, um, uh, or is pushing very much the open source development of the underlying software. So Qiskit, our software framework that allows to, uh, to, 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 to write quantum circuits that can be run on the hardware, but also to provide the algorithms on top or the then, then more, um, uh, even more applications like an optimization or, or machine learning. This is all open source and this is a community effort and the community, community contributes to that. And, and together we, we build this. So I think uh, having broad access is, um, is very important also to, to just grow this whole industry and to, 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 to learn what can be done and to identify the, the applications that really profit from it. That makes sense. And, and Will, back to you at, at Goldman Sachs. Um, right now, obviously, your, your work is as a researcher, as a scientist. Do you imagine as, as these technologies mature more that, you know, quantum just becomes, you know, part of the underlying tech stack within financial services and not something like sort of futuristic or something external? Yeah, no, that, that's my job. <laughs> Make that happen. <laughs> And, uh, and I think, you know, the feeling of this in some ways, and, and when I was listening to Stefan talk about the ecosystem, it's like, you know, machine learning 10 years ago or 12 years ago or something, right? Like where the compute power is not quite there yet, but as quantum hardware, and there's a lot of roadmaps out there and a lot of money going into starting to build these machines, as they come to fruition, big ecosystems will pop up, new applications will be, will be continued to be found. And, you know, what we are in some ways here to, to Kind of champion is that financial services is a really, really great place to start applying this tech. It's got concrete problems, it's got global access to deploy new kind of compute solutions. Um, and so part of this work is, is to kind of uh, sort of trumpet that that, that that is a good place for quantum computing to, to develop. I got that. And, and Will, you said there, were about, there was about 20 billion of, of both public and private funds that have come into the quantum computing space. Um, is there, as part of this ecosystem, is there a vibrant um, uh, startup community also? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, of the like 1.3 billion in the last couple of years in private VC investment, like, I don't know what the percentage is, but a majority of it is in like the last two years. There's maybe 150 companies, if you sort of think of quantum tech a little broadly, because there's a whole stack of things here, like there's people who make hardware, there's people who make control systems for the hardware, people who make uh, software or do application research. Um, and that's really global. I mean, you see startup, a lot of the big ones are in the US, but also in Europe, Australia, Japan, Netherlands, France, Germany, UK. Um, it's, it's, it's starting to, uh, to emerge into a real industry. Will, Stefan, thank you both for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Hey, thanks, Zach. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Zach.